hello, hello, Cheesehead Hangover Hackers fans. Welcome back. My name is Garrison Anderson, and sitting across from me is my lovely sister, Sarah Anderson. Hello, people. Uh, and we're back from a, an, an extended bye. The Packers had a bye, we didn't record an episode, and then Sarah had some uh, life stuff come up. Uh, tell the people what came up for you, Sarah. Well, my husband, for those of you that do not know, my husband and I, at this, up until this point in time, have not lived in the same location, and uh, that is all changing because he has a new job, and because, you know, you have one life change, we decided to have a whole nother and bought a house. And so, new job, new house, new place to live. Uh, needless good, to say, good, good things come in threes. Uh, you know, they they come in bunches. They come in bunches, <laughs> like turnovers and touchdowns. Um, and so uh, there was just uh, not very much free time to get in an episode breaking down uh, our win against Atlanta or the bye week. There was probably there was plenty to talk about. Tons of dumpster fires, underrated stories, touchdowns, big plays. Uh, recovery from injuries, but uh, we, we trust that you all are, are at least up enough up to speed that we can uh, continue forward and and digest the occurrence of this past week, which is what we'll focus on today. Exactly. Yeah. So it it is a it is a it is quite the week. Uh, this is our uh, first episode post a loss this uh, season. This season. Uh, so we're drinking darker, heavier beers, uh, cause that feels necessary. Um, and we'll get to that a little bit more later on and we will talk about it cause I think, uh, the loss, losses probably always teach you more than wins and that they illuminate, um, just what your faults are and what are your downfalls as a team. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, but to start out, let's uh, talk a little bit about around the NFL. And, uh, of course, we got to talk about some of our NFC North uh, foes uh, and their performances in the last couple weeks. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings got beat by the Atlanta Falcons, who get the classic, oh, you fire your head coach and the team's fired up and they get a win. So the Falcons beat the Vikings this past week after the Packers beat them the week beforehand. The Lions actually blew out the Jacksonville Jaguars. Big shocker. Uh, 34 to 16. And then we have the division leading Chicago Bears beating (laughs) beating the Carolina Panthers 23 to 16 in a close game. Uh, it's so interesting. Uh, this this division, it, it does seem kind of feast or famine, and it's the Bears and the Packers at the top, the Lions and the Vikings at the bottom. Uh, did any of these games sort of teach you anything or give you any thoughts overall about our NFC North division we, we sit in? Um, I, It seems as though the Bears might actually be for real. And... I. It, it's not really, it is shocking because it's, it's been a while. It's been a hot minute. However, the Bears have a solid defense, and they have had a solid defense. And how do you win championships? You have a solid defense. Their problem has really been on the offensive side of the ball the last few years, especially at the quarterback position, where it really has been feast or famine. And 
I wouldn't say they have that figured out, mm -hmm. but they are patching it along and making a go of it. And I think as long as they keep doing that, they could go a lot farther than we think they could. There's also still the question of the opponents they faced. I mean, they did start the season against the Lions, Giants, and Falcons, who have a grand total of four wins now at uh, six weeks into the season. So, you know, they they had a leg up, but they've had, you know, but beating to, the Bucks, beating to, the Panthers. Yeah, those to, are real wins. To, to and, counterpoint, they did beat the Bucks 20 to 19. And does that mean by the transitive pro property, are the Bears better than the Packers? If you believe in the transitive property of football, then yes. But uh, also any given Sunday. And I would exactly. have to say that the Buccaneers team the Bears faced did not look like the Buccaneers team the Packers faced. True. And I, I think the tough thing with trying to believe the Bears and who they are is in college football, sometimes you have situations where teams will use two quarterbacks in, like in the same game interchangeably. And really, a lot of times when that sort of situation happens, it's like a younger guy, a freshman, sophomore and an older guy, a junior, senior. And you're trying to figure out who's the actual one that's going to be your quarterback and take you through the entirety of the college football season. And a lot of times what happens in those situations is if you got two quarterbacks, you probably got none because neither one of them is that good to really take you the full way and get you the wins you need to go in the college football season. And a little bit of that is what I feel with the Bears here with Trubisky and Foles with Trubisky coming out winning the team's first two games, and then you got Foles coming in and uh, taking over as the starter. Um, but they've won so far. Uh, none of the games from the quarterback play have been outstanding uh, for quarterback passing. The Bears haven't eclipsed 250 yards yet this season. And usually you think with how the quarterback play goes, so does the team, but... The Bears are definitely that defense-centered team, and so far they've gotten it done. Um, they are coming up on a bit of a tougher schedule with the Rams, Saints, and Tennessee for their next three games. So I'm going to be interested to see how their performance goes the next few weeks. Absolutely. And, I mean, that's that's just it, is you have teams that start seasons hot and die in the middle and never come back. You have teams that go through a low spot and then rally at the end of the season. And then you have teams that start out like shit. And we have plenty of those teams in the NFL this year that somehow turn it on halfway through the season and can come roaring back to, you know, sometimes even win a Super Bowl. Definitely. Definitely. So, um, so outside of the NFC North, there are a few games to maybe touch on quickly. Uh, the Steelers and the Cleveland Browns faced each other. Both teams had at least four wins in the four wins coming into the game. The Steelers ended up beating the Browns thirty-eight to seven. So the Browns are now four and two, and I believe the Steelers are four and one. They are undefeated. undefeated. Last I checked, undefeated. Okay. Um, so it it's interesting because. I think the 4-1 and one Browns, you kind of went into this game wondering if they were a mirage or not. And to see them getting really beat by the Steelers, it, it's still the Steelers are big brother in the NFC, or the AFC North, and the Browns still got a little ways to go. They certainly do. And it, it makes you really look, 
I looking am looking forward to when Pittsburgh plays the Ravens. Um, those two have really, you know, Baltimore led the divi- led that particular division last year, and 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 Pitt was Pittsburgh was going through a whole slew of injury issues and issues at quarterback, and you know Big Ben seems to be making it work. Um, you know he's not getting any younger, but maybe he's getting a little smarter, and. Um, having that work out for them. And so I do think the AFC North is just a really interesting division this year with Cleveland definitely turning a quarter corner and getting better, but clearly it's a, I mean, it is a tough division and they have a ways to go if they want to be on top. Yep. Uh, one other marquee games from this past week's slate would be the Kansas city chiefs defeating the Buffalo bills. And that is definitely one of those games that you view as a preview for the AFC playoff picture. Uh, the Chiefs beat the Bills 26 to 17, uh, and although the, the score might indicate something a little bit closer, uh, the Chiefs really controlled the time of possession in this one and had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who is on my fantasy football team, rush for uh, 26 carries for over 150 yards. Uh, so that one was more dominant of Chiefs than you might intentionally think. Uh, another AFC matchup that just looked odd was the Broncos beating the Patriots 18-12. to uh, This was a game that uh, was highlighted by eight field goals between the two teams and one touchdown. Uh, both Drew Locke and Cam Newton, the quarterbacks, had two interceptions. Uh, and a weird-looking block score. And the Patriots and Browns now have the same record as 2-3, and three, which is... It just feels odd. So, um, so those are some of the games from this week. But I really, truthfully, wasn't super excited by any of the matchups this week. And the one thing I find kind of interesting is just the parity. Now that we're about one-third through the season, uh, both divisions have about five teams that thoroughly suck. Um, for the AFC, you got the 0-6 Jets leading the charge. Going for that number one pick. Going for Trevor Lawrence, uh, number one pick. I bet they do not fire their head coach, Adam Gase, until the end of the season, just so they can stay on target for that number one pick. Yeah, I I think once they they have a solid two-game cushion where all the other shitty teams have at least two wins... They'll fire Adam Gase and then for that last week of the season, put Sam Darnold in there, let him have a great game, and then sell high on him and draft Trevor Lawrence. That's that's how I see it going. Um, Hopefully the owner knows as much as we do, um, which is probably about accurate because he did hire Adam Gase to begin with. I honestly thought Gase would have been the first coach fired, and uh, I was wrong about that. Uh, and, and we will get well, to the first coach hired when we – preview next week's game exactly but you know why the owner didn't make the adam gates decision is because the owner is the current un ambassador and has detached ties from the team so uh there's an understudy basically running the team at this point so that's a little that's different that's politics and football and mixed all together but Needless it's election to say, season. Go vote. Uh, yeah, go vote. Uh, needless to say, the AFC bad teams are the 0-6 Jets, the 1-4 Bengals, the 1-5 Jags, the 1-5 Houston Texans, who the Packers are playing this week, and the 1-4 Los Angeles Chargers. Where on the NFC side of things, you have the 1-4-1 Eagles, the 1-5 Washington football team, 
the one and five New York Giants, who just got their first win over the Washington football team, uh, the one and five Minnesota Vikings, and the one and five Atlanta Falcons. And 10 teams with one win or less seems like a lot at this point in the season. It it does. And I have to say that one of the interesting things is how evenly they're spread out in the AFC and how concentrated they are in the NFC. And, you know, the NFC East is just, you know, it's a real dumpster fire. And that brings us to our dumpster fire of the week, unless you want to no, talk any more no, about I, shitty teams. I, I, I think it, it's true. It brings us to the dumpster fire of the week, which is the Dallas Cowboys, who, uh, after Dak Prescott went down with a pretty grueling injury, uh, they had their first game with Andy Dalton in as the starter uh, facing the Arizona Cardinals on Monday football. Uh, the Cardinals beat the Cowboys 38-10 to in very convincing fashion. Uh, and the Cowboys are now two and four, which is definitely not what the expectation was for this team. But you probably also weren't expecting two and four would keep you in first in your division six games into the season. Um, however, the reason why this is kind of a dumpster fire to me is some of the stuff coming out after the game. Uh, Jane Slater, one of the reporters that follows the Dallas Cowboys, beat pretty exclusively. Um, mentioned in a tweet that uh, players initially bought into keeping things internal in terms of the struggle. Uh, however, now that two and four, uh, there are some folks quoting to her uh, players saying the coaching staff is, quote, totally unprepared. They don't teach. They don't have any sense of adjusting on the fly. And another player stating they just aren't good at their jobs, that being the coaches. And of course, this has a Packers tie-in because the new coach for the Dallas Cowboys is Mike McCarthy. Uh, and I don't want to put blame on any one source because I think the reason this is a dumpster fire is you're plugging a dam with like gum and paper clips and trying to not let it burst. Like, is it the players? Is it the coaching? Is it Jerry Jones? What it, what is it, Sarah? <laughs> um, I mean, I I definitely think Jerry Jones. It, it's I think this is a situation where it does stem from the top, and this is a case where uh, it 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 is it is trickle down economics. I mean, they have players who have talent. Like Ezekiel Elliott has talent. Amari Cooper has talent. Ceedee Lamb has talent. Dak Prescott, although now injured and out, has talent. Like, they have, especially on offense. O-line issues, I believe, have, have, have plagued them before and I think are, are still an issue. And, they, you know, defense is, is the, you know, a whole nother ball of wax. But, you know, they, they have the basic elements there. But you, you have to think, like, Jerry Jones is, like, the empire, the emperor of this organization. And... He's a billionaire. He's not mm -hmm. a football guy. Like, other than owning a team and being mm. a billionaire and drafting from, like, a $100 million yacht, like, he's not a football guy. <laughs> it, it, it's interesting because it's, it's one of those things with the Jones family. I think of it a lot like, on the football side, sort of like the Washington football team where another billionaire 
person owning the team and then being tied in with Dan Snyder having sort of sole control over everything makes it a little bit more difficult Mm -hmm. because when you have absolute power you, you have, can't have no men. Like you don't, you don't stand have for dissent- no men. You don't have dissension among the ranks or like arguments that make yourself better. And you and when you do, it's so easy to just ignore that voice and fi- and or fire them. And you know, I think we've seen this not work for the Washington football team until things became so bad and became public that they had to make a change. And you know, I don't know that this works for the Cowboys either. Mm. I think the only time it really works is either to have a, a an ownership that is divided enough among various millionaires and billionaires that no one person controls the conversation or, you know, and not to say that this organization is, is winning by any stretch, but more of like a Jaguars approach where you have your front man. However, like, he doesn't mess in the day-to-day operations. He takes care of more of the public-facing things and the relationships and the, the, the connection to the NFL itself from the franchise, not so mm. much like, who are you drafting? Who's getting fired? How much are they making? I don't like that idea. I don't like that person. And having that personal influence in day-to-day operations. And if you don't have that separation, you, you don't have the professionals doing their job mm-hmm. you have them just answering to the man upstairs and yeah. you're either answering or you're doing your job you aren't doing both yeah a lot to, and the dynamics on other nfl football teams are sort of three positions the owner the general manager and the coach and the dynamic typically is the owner will make a decision on the gm and the gm will make a decision on the coach and then if it becomes a situation where your team underperforms the question typically is, is it the GM or the, and, or the coach, or is it both? And if it's the GM, maybe it's personnel decisions that are questionable. The owner might break a tie and say, I'm firing the GM, but want to keep the head coach or something like that. Uh, for the Cowboys, the Jones family is the GM, it's the ownership, and... It's, they hire somebody to stand on the field and call plays. Exactly, exactly. So it's a it's a much different dynamic, and I am curious to see how the rest of the season goes and if that weird sort of structure they have it lends itself to a team breaking down more. That being said, I still think the Cowboys are going to win the NFC East with like seven, seven wins. wins. <laughs> yeah, seven wins. Um but I mean, still, if we, if but project- still, I think it's a dumpster fire because it's like, this is not how you run a team. <laughs> it's not how you run an organization. If it's you not how to- you build a culture. <laughs> if stuff is leaking out, it's it's just not. So yeah, and you know that being said, I do think there are issues with coaching, and I do think there are issues with players, and I will not at all be shocked if Mike McCarthy is fired anytime between now and like. January fifteenth. Wow, that's a, I think that's a pretty spicy take. Uh, but hey, I, I I don't disagree with you at all. So even winning the NFC East, I don't think is enough to keep that job. Mostly because winning the NFC East probably won't even take getting to five hundred this year. That's fair. That's fair. Um, okay, so Dallas Cowboys, congratulations! You get your our floating dumpster fire of the week award. Um, so now we are going to do our underrated story of the week, and we have a twofer for you this week. Uh, I'm going to start out with, uh, mine is a Time Marches On football edition. 
Uh, and it's actually reflective of the Packers versus Buccaneers game this week. Um, uh, there are some interesting dynamics going on. Aaron Rodgers, when he went in for a rush touchdown where it ended up not being a touchdown, uh, he took a hit by Antoine Winfield Jr., who is the son of former Vikings player Antoine Winfield. Uh, and Rodgers, after the game, uh, was quoted in his interview with Pac McAfee uh, saying he went up to Winfield Jr. and said, patted him on the back and said, just like your dad. Um, the other interesting thing in that game was after the game, uh, Tom Brady went up to Packers lineman John Runyon Jr., uh, who is the son of former NFL offensive lineman John Runyon, who was Brady's offensive tackle when he was in college at Michigan. So all sorts of uh, age generations going on at play in this Packers-Bucks game and one of the fun facts I took out of that game. It is interesting when you've had players around that have been around the league as long as both Rodgers and Brady have and that you know things start coming full circle. It also really shows the um you know just the generational talent of some of these families like you know the there's you know the Mannings and and various others uh, um that have these kind of legacies of just football in the family and um it continues and uh it's kind of it's kind of fun to see and there are a lot of neat stories um about the the general generational you know success at football that various families have and and it leads to cool moments like this uh where you have players span literally spanning generations very much Uh, so very much so and for your understore underrated story of the week i i I think you have a very important cause to talk about yeah, uh, over the last, oh, who knows how many years, the National Football League has partnered with the American Cancer Society, and it originally started with uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month being the month of October, and now has um, since been expanded to uh, really raising just promoting cancer awareness in order to have prevention and early detection of cancer, of all cancers, not just breast cancer. Um, it originally expanded from breast cancer to breast and prostate cancer to men and women. And then was like, uh, screw it. Just everyone go get tested, keep aware, be aware, you know, do your checkups, um, because you just never know what you might catch early. And a really important example of catching cancer early is actually Mason Crosby's wife, Molly, who, um, developed a cough, uh, I believe it was in 2019, ignored it for a long time, eventually went and uh, had, had a doctor's appointment, finally went to the doctor, and they discovered she had a type of lung cancer. Mm. Um, she eventually was declared cancer-free, and you know, now a year later is, is still in health, although you know, perfect health, clean, clean screenings, um, but will continue to need to be checked every two, every, I think twice a year. And I have to give Wes Hodkowitz of Packers.com a shout out he did a long form story that came out during the bye week all called Faith, Family, and Football, detailing Molly Crosby's cancer battle and, and how um, that, cor- that overlaid Mason Crosby's comeback. After a fairly rough season in 2018, he was competing for his job in 2019. Um, he had, you know, in there had one terrible game back in 2018 against 
the Lions, which contributed to a Packers loss. He missed field goals, was missing extra points. And then, you know, culminating with um, when she was finally declared cancer-free, her first game back was when the, Mason Crosby, uh, the Packers last year pay, played the Detroit Lions, and Mason Crosby kicked his first game-winning field goal against the Lions. He then did it again um, a few weeks later when they played for the second time last year. And the, the story is just really, really touching and really moving and really important to remember. The story is called Faith, Family, and Football. Um, because while the Mason and Molly were going through this, Mason's brother and his wife, Brittany, were, were also dealing with cancer. And Brittany actually passed away last year from her battle with cancer. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just how this can affect families, you know, it's not, you know, it's young, it's old, you just don't know when it's going to happen. And really seeing their story and using that as a platform to increase awareness and the importance of mm. having your checkups and doing early screening is um, just really important. And, you know, I think uh, one of the better things that NFL is, is, is good at is, is raising awareness with initiatives like their Crucial Catch campaign in the month of October. Yeah, definitely so. And I did this last year. Uh, NFL merch also does Crucial Catch merch. Uh, and they're doing it again this year like they did last year. Um, so much of every sale uh, goes to various charities associated with uh, the Crucial Catch campaign, uh, fighting different cancers and uh, raising awareness in various ways. So definitely a great story, definitely an underrated story that uh, it's always important to look at uh, what these players do off the field because they're humans too, uh, just doing this job that they call football. Uh, and important to remember and catch stories like this. All right. I think I think it's time that we have to talk about this uh, Packers-Buccaneers game, this, uh, this loss. If only we could just talk about the first quarter. Yeah, if only we could talk about the first two Packers drives where we were up 10-0. We, we, we could really talk about the whole first quarter. Yeah. It, it started out how you want a game to turn out you know how you kind of want a game to go at least when it comes to the stats although in the post-game interviews we learned that although things were working it was more of the ball the luck of the draw and the ball bouncing the Packers way they really weren't into a rhythm they weren't feeling it It, it, they were having you know hiccups and 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 glitches with communication and and timing you know coming from the sidelines and it was just a more of happenstance that things were working out um, and then, of course, the second quarter happened, and it was all downhill from there. Yeah, so I, I think let's, let's first talk about the Packers' offense against the Bucks' defense, because I think there's less to say there. Um, when your team only scores 10 points, there's only so much you can get out of what you're going to say. Um, I mean... The highlights, there were a couple of really great explosive plays out of the run game. Jamal, actually every running back, I believe, had an explosive play to some extent. Uh, there was there was actually that one play with Jamal that was probably the biggest one where he broke yep. a 25-yard carry. And it's then the longest run in the game. The, the nice thing to see, at least when you're in a blowout, sometimes you get to see rookies get a chance. And we saw a 20-yard run by A.J. Dillon, who got five carries for 31 yards. And... 
I thought that was a good glimpse into maybe what he could offer down yeah, the road. Yeah, and he had he had one big breakaway that got 20 yards, and the play I'm thinking of with Aaron Jones was actually a passing play. It mm. did go for 20 yards, and I believe it was a, a fair number of yards after the catch or yak, yeah. um, which made it look like a running play, but it really was a passing play just mm-hmm. out of the backfield. Yep. Um, so, you know, there were... But that was really it. And then beyond that, this game was wildly uncharacteristic of, I, you know, definitely the Packers up to this point this year, but just the Packers in general. And it really all started with Aaron Rodgers. It is, he does not throw interceptions and he threw two within three, three offensive snaps. Mm. And that is, you know, and that kind of just sums up the rest of the big game. Yeah. And really the momentum shift that you feel when it, it just, started with that uh, Packers were up 10 to 0 starting out on a drive on their own 20 some yard line and Aaron Rodgers threw that uh, pick six to Jamal Jamel Dean um, and it was only Rodgers third pick six in his entire career um, and when you have those kind of plays it you just kind of worry and it turned out to be this way like oh man this is a big momentum shift on a game where you really were hoping to probably on that drive get in the rhythm you wanted to get into to not let up and <laughs> not let the, the Buccaneers come off the mat. But uh, pick six makes it a tight game, and then the Buccaneers really just ran away with the momentum after that. Yeah, and then to have the the other pick three plays later, it nearly be a pick six, and it wasn't for except for a, a Rodgers – basically doing a sacrifice tackle to slow up um, Edwards, who, who picked him off, um, to give Billy Turner enough time to get there to make the tackle is the only reason it kept it out of the end zone. Um, Tampa Bay had it on roughly, what, the two to three yard line. And just that's that in, for all intents and purposes, it really was almost another pick six. Mm-hmm. Um, they had to run, what, like two plays to get in the end zone? Yep. And and. The unanswered points just kept on coming because the Packers didn't score any more in the last three quarters of the game, uh, with the game ending 10 to 38. But I really felt uh, there are a couple other things to mention here. Uh, David Bakhtiari did go down with a slight injury, and Rick Wagner came in. We don't really have, I believe, any clear word on uh, the exact extent to which Bakhtiari is injured. So that's kind of a story to track throughout the course of this week. But I really think the other thing that was an eye opener in this game was the Buccaneers really have some awesome linebackers in Devin, yeah, Devin White and Levante David. And I knew Devin White coming out of the draft because he was one of the folks, I believe the Packers were picking 12th in the year they selected Rashawn Gary that I was also looking at Devin White as that would be an interesting player for to fall to them in that draft. And Devin White, when he was at LSU, uh, he came out and tested with some insane numbers for linebackers, like 4-4 speed, like absolutely great sideline to sideline linebacker who can do everything, play in the middle, get some blitzes, and be effective on those. Uh, and Levante David's really a similar player. Um, and having two of those type of guys in the middle of the Bucks defense, they were all over the field all game long. Uh, they both got a sack. They both had 
uh, almost double di- double digit tackles. Uh, Devin Wh- Devin White had ten tackles. Levante David had eight. Uh, they both had multiple tackles for loss. Uh, they both had multiple quarterback hits. <laughs> and I just like saw them the entire course of the game everywhere. And it was like, oh my god, these guys are killing us. These two guys. Um, and the pressure on the Packers really put everything in a tough spot where you couldn't get in rhythm and get on pace for the offense overall. No, they definitely they definitely made it challenging, but it there there also was just an energy shift with you know especially it was definitely after the first pick and just buried after the second pick, and just everyone looked slow. Um, I mean, I think part of it was those linebackers are that fast, Mm. but there was the element of just everyone, like offense, defense, um, were just as if they were shell-shocked, um, and just never responded. And you, you can't do that. You have to respond and you have to have that fight back. And it just, they were flat. Um, they weren't there. (laughs) (laughs) they they weren't and and that was part of it and it was interesting because this was also uh the first game where Rodgers really faced pressure um and it it, it's interesting that we've gotten big plays before in tight windows and Rodgers missed a few long passes he missed a a a go route to Valdez Scantling Mm -hmm. down the sideline that was just out of reach, he missed a big pass to Mercedes Lewis, I believe. Over the middle. Over yeah. the middle. Um, and there were those plays where, like, you look for when you get pressure to either get a quick dump off or um, if you're getting pressure on something like a play-action pass, which I think we had a lot of in this game, you hope to hold long enough to get the playoff, basically. Um and we saw where maybe the play just almost got off and the ball got out, but it was just off. Um, and maybe if those plays are made, maybe if we score a few more points, the momentum feels a little different in the game and it goes a different direction. Yeah, and it's, you know, it really comes down to even even after the two picks, the Packers did have their opportunities to just to get the pendulum swinging back the other way. And they did. They just missed. And if you hit one of those plays, you know, the energy swings back the other way and you just never know what happened will happen um, or would have happened if, you know, if that ball gets caught, if that throw was a little bit more on target, if there's just a lot of ifs. And it really points to how close of a game the NFL is. It's a game of inches, um, fractions of inches. And that is the level of parity. And, you know, we see we see all these organizations in the NFL that are really struggling this year. But, you know, a lot of that has to do with with the mental, with the mental and keeping your focus and 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 reacting correctly or reacting in in the way you need to to overcome, you know, that first negative play. And sometimes you do that and other times another negative happens. And instead of overcoming both, it turns into a snowball. Yep. And what the Packers can't let happen is let the snowball into to more than one loss. Yeah, and I think your your point about the mental part of the game is really interesting because this was also the Packers one of the Packers' more sloppy games in terms of penalties with six penalties for seventy six yards, where 
the Bucks didn't have any penalties in this game. At least any that were enforced. Exactly. At least any that were enforced. Uh, but I, again, and those are those are the things that kind of play into it. Like if you're if you get a couple picks early, and then throughout the course of the game you give up penalties, and you you just really make it really difficult for yourself to get off the mat. Um, and it's not like this was a full time of possession game either. It really was turnovers, points off turnovers. Uh, it really was turnovers mistakes, and points off turnovers. Yeah, I mean, and, and mistakes, like, if you count those two turnovers as they both resulted in touchdowns, that's a 14-point swing. And you say, like, okay, that brings the Bucks down to 24. So 24 to 10, maybe those two drives go differently. You know, you're back well, around a tight game. But... Exactly. And that's just it is, is you really, if those two turnovers don't happen, this game is completely different. And that is the difference that turnovers make. And um, the difference that pressure makes. Mm-hmm. The, to force those turnovers. Yeah, exactly. So really good kudos to the Bucks on that side. Um, I, okay, so we should probably talk a little bit about the Packers' defense as well. I I struggled to kind of think what could have done better. Um, pressure was really nowhere in this game. And I didn't realize how big of a strength the Buccaneers' offensive line was for their team. It was that. And and um, the other thing was, was that, you know, they're – they they missed on their few opportunities for splash plays. Um, a ball went through Adrian Amos's hand, and I think there was like another couple, you know, near near opportunities that um, just didn't materialize. And um, when they're when the turnovers start going the other team's way, and and you can't write that ship, um, you know, you don't want to you you don't force it, but you have to capitalize. And they didn't do that either. Yeah, no, for sure, and. Between our big three pass rushers of Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, and Zedari Smith, only three quarterback hits, no tackles for loss. No, no sacks. No sacks. Um, Kenny Clark was back in this game and did some of the work with stopping some of the run plays. But uh, then Tyler Lancaster went out with injury, and we're back down to not having that rotation at, at the front of the D-line. Exactly. Um and the Tampa Bay running attack as the game went on is it really became more and more effective. Um, Ronald Jones, uh, the main Tampa Bay running back, went for 23 carries for 113 yards. Um, and you, you had quite a bit of success on the run game with the entire team for Tampa Bay averaging 4.5 yards per carry. Um, and... You know, it's one of these other things like we gave them quick points, but then they also were able to methodically go down the field quite a few times. Um, It's interesting, one of the earliest stats I wrote down in the first quarter um, when the Packers got a three and out on the Bucks was the Packers defense came into today leading the NFL in three and out percentage with 27.5% of the defense forcing three and outs um, and they got a three and out on the Buccaneers first drive and, and almost a three. I think they only had one first down on the second drive. Yep, exactly. And it, it's, I, I wonder to think with some of the post game interviews uh, from LaFleur and Rogers talking a little bit about how 
this week wasn't the best week in practice as far as how sharp the team was leading into the Buccaneers game. Um, and with having such a high percentage of three and out plays and facing some less than subpar opponents that this was maybe the wake up game the Packers needed as far as like reinvigorating sort of that we'd have to show up and play every week and not get complacent. Um, and coming out of the bye, uh, maybe a little rusty as well. It's, it's one of those games you write off. I think we said during the game, like it's one of these games you just want to be done with it and get on the plane and go back home. And this was really the first game where the Packers were overwhelmingly favored. And I can't help but wonder how much that played into, in addition to the bye, getting you out of the, your, your rhythm, your weekly routine and rhythm, which is really critical to athletes, um, just to keep that rhythm and momentum going. Um, and that was disrupted. So they weren't carrying that momentum forward in the same way they had been before the bye. And then this was really the first time where, you know, a lot of the media hype was all about the Packers, where prior weeks, it's been much more split. It's been much more like a, ooh, you know, underdog or, or really tight. And this one, this game really wasn't projected that way. It was projected as like, eh, Packers are going to get it. And in, in a way that, you know, like the Saints game was not. Like that was, you know, Breeze, Aaron duking it out. And this was, you know, Brady and Aaron duking it out. However, everyone was like, but the Packers are going to win. And this was, it, it, the scale was just shifted. Mm -hmm. And the Packers have always been a team that plays a lot better when there's a giant chip on their shoulder. Mm. And this was the first time where they weren't getting chipped on their shoulder. They were getting padded. And, you know, I think it just underscores the importance of, of tuning all of that out. Yeah. Granted, it's, you know, given the I, internet and Twitter I, and the news. I, I think the bigger <laughs> thing is with it coming into this game was four dominant offensive performances to start off the season. And when your team is able to score that effectively, that consistently, you kind of think it's going to happen every week. Not saying the Packers thought that, but I, I think that's it a was big taken, part. I think a little bit was taken for granted. Yeah, exactly. Um, so interesting. Uh, any last things with this uh, Packers-Buccaneers game that you want to chat about before we flush her down the toilet? Uh, you know, I can't help but think back to another 38-10 game from last year, and we saw those guys again in the playoffs, and I can't help but think we will probably see the Buccaneers yet again this year. Hopefully it's in Green Bay. I, I think that's a really astute point because football does have this funny way of kind of writing its own storylines. And I, I think you're dead on with that prediction. So that'd be my hot take. <laughs> exactly. And you know, uh, JK Scott, you got your workout in, uh, you're doubled you're, the number of punts yeah. in a single game. Yeah. You're done. You're done punting for another three, four weeks, sit on the bench. Let's score some points and get going. Um, okay. So speaking of getting going, uh, let's uh, get going to our matchup uh, coming up this week with the Green Bay Packers facing the Houston Texans. Uh, so the Packers are coming into this game against the 1-5 Texans in Houston with about a 3.5 point favorite, uh, according to Odd Shark. Uh, so if you think about that, uh, home field advantage is typically about 3 points for the Texans, so... Really, it's probably a thought like Packers are about a touchdown favorite. Um, the over-under for this game is set at 57. Uh, so that's 
probably about like a 30 to 27 type game prediction for the Packers edging that. Um, and then for you betting fans out there, the Packers are 10 and 0 against the spread in their last 10 games following a loss. Not that that means anything. <laughs> um, uh, Houston's coming off a tough loss to the Titans where uh, they, they lost overtime. They went to overtime. Uh, Derrick Henry for the Titans really came through with an amazing game. Uh, and the Titans ended up winning that game 42 to 36 in an overtime loss. Uh, Houston got their one win in the previous week before that when they got the firing of the coaching bump where you come out in the next week's game and win because you got to win. But the Titans team is an interesting team in that they've always been plagued uh, in the most recent years with uh, rough GM decisions and rough coaching decisions. However, they're a team with talent. Um, so you, you kind of look at, look at that both ways. Um, what are some of your initial thoughts coming into this game? You know, I, I don't know that even though we're six weeks in and like the rankings have kind of sort of established themselves, I really don't think records mean anything in this game. Um, and, and usually, you know, you, you, you kind of have an expectation based on how teams are doing, but, um. I think this is a scenario where you don't. Uh, the Texans have played really tough teams, uh, you, you know, to some extent. Baltimore, Pittsburgh. Uh, we were talking. We were talking earlier this year just about how they got screwed over by the schedule makers with their early schedule. So they did. I mean, they did lose to Minnesota, which it, it makes you, you know, there goes the transitive property of football. Then the Packers yep. beat the Vikings, and the Vikings beat the Texans. So does that, you know? But yeah. that doesn't work in football. No, it doesn't. Any given Sunday, folks. Yeah. Um, but you know, this is you know, Deshaun Watson's an exciting quarterback to play. He to or to to watch. You know, he runs, he passes. He has a ton of talent that um, just has not been fully capitalized because of other aspects of this team. They also, you know, they still have J.J. Watt. Who doesn't love, you know, J.J. Watt is, like, emblematic of, like, what the NFL is. I mean, he has been the face of the NFL when, you know, prior to Patrick Mahomes um, and other players. But, so, you know, they, they have these players and they have this capability and this potential, and you just don't know. And in some ways, they have nothing to lose right now. So does that mean they come out flat? Does that mean they come out on fire? Does that mean something in between? And, you know, you on, it, it really will be any given Sunday. Um, that being said, one kind of fun stat is that both Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson have 13 touchdowns this far this season. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely is one of those games that if, if you, you came in – to the Bucks, thinking like the last two weeks for the Packers with uh, playing the Saints and the Bucks in recent weeks. I know the Falcons were in between those two. Um, you came into those two games thinking, okay, you have a tough opponent here. You kind of have to do the same thing with the Texans in the sense that they have a quarterback that can make all the throws and do the running thing. I, I mean, this this was a guy with Patrick Mahomes in hindsight in that draft class where the Bears took Mitch Trubisky second overall. Uh, always got to throw that in when you can. 
Um, uh, these were the two guys. These, this is who they passed on. Yeah, this is who they passed on. Both these guys got uh, mega deals this offseason because of their talent and, and their ability to make the difference and raise the caliber of their overall team. Um, and when you have a guy like that, a quarterback, you always got to watch out because I, I think a lot of what will happen in this game, and this is kind of an old platitude, but whoever makes the most big plays of over 20 yards and whoever holds on to the ball the longest is probably going to win this game. So, <laughs> um, uh, so I, I think that's interesting. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the Packers respond. It so. will. It will. Um, one other fun thing to note is that Randall Cobb has now moved from one team in Texas to another. And uh, we'll get to see him on Sunday. And so, I, I'm um, sure there will be a greeting between Rodgers and Cobb at some point in the game. I, I am sure between Rodgers and Cobb, between Devontae and Randall, there, there's going to be, you know, I don't know if it'll be before the game or after the game, but there'll be a fair number of handshakes and, yep. and hugs. And, um, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing him get a touchdown. <laughs> I, I, there's still there's something to like about Randall Cobb. Yeah, um, he he was always one of my favorite Packers. He he always had the best personality. Uh, Aaron Rodgers stood up in Randall Cobb's wedding. <laughs> so I think he also attended Randall Cobb's graduation. I think so. I think you're right. Um, and yeah, I I wouldn't mind Randall Cobb getting a touchdown either. And so. one of my all time favorite stories is I think it might have been Randall Cobb's first touchdown in the NFL. So back with the Packers um, was actually a play that was intended for Donald Driver, and Donald Driver made the adjustment on who took what role, and Donald Driver took a blocking role that Cobb was supposed to take. Cobb got the catch and ran it in for the touchdown. Oh really? I didn't know that. I can't remember who the hell they were playing, but I just remember like. Randall Cobb making a comment on that. Um, I believe it was when Driver retired, um, sharing that that anecdote that that he was like, no, 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 you should go here and I'll go there, and um, that led to his very. I believe it was his first touchdown. Um, it might have even been his first catch. Um, long, long time ago, and it's just it it says a lot about both of them, you know, about Donald Driver just being the amazing human that he is, and Randall Cobb, you know, proving himself to a veteran like Driver in his diligence, his work ethic, to earn that opportunity. Um, and he's still in the NFL, which I'm really glad, even if, you know, he's not with the Packers. Yep. Although you never know. He might come back. Yeah, you never know. Honestly, you never do. Um, uh, a few other things coming into this game. Some injury from uh, today's uh, participation uh, listing in practice. It's kind of ugly looking. It's kind of ugly looking. It's kind of long. Uh, the did not did not participates for the Packers were David Bakhtiari, uh, Tyler Irvin, Tyler Lancaster, Darnell Savage, and Robert Tanyan. Uh, Savage, Tanyan, and Bakhtiari all being ones that, uh, and Lancaster as well, uh, coming out of the game against the Buccaneers that got tweaks uh, or injuries while playing the Bucs. So, um It'll be interesting. I, I'm interested in a lot of respects to see how the health of the team is coming into this game, how they bounce back on defense, and what the offense looks like again. So um, so with the Packers being favored by three and a half, do you, what, how do you envision this game going? You know, I mean, I always think the Packers are going to win. Um, 
I do think they're going to win by like a solid touchdown. I mean, I think Houston's going to make a final play, you know, make a final, uh, not play, but a final, um, you know, you know, give it, give it, give it their all to the very end and, and be within striking distance. But, but I do think the Packers are going to win by seven. And so I'm kind of thinking this is going to be, you know, and I think they'll turn the offense. I think the offense is going to bounce back here. Um, You know, EQ came back this week. Um, It was a little bit underrated because he was targeted twice and didn't catch a thing. So um, not, not the greatest of all comebacks, but, you know, I think my hot take is that EQ is going to turn it on now that he's knocked off the rust. And I'm thinking 35-28 Packers. I, I, I think I agree with you in a lot of respects on the game. Um, I think one of the things that uh, always comes down to the game losing, win or loss, and we've talked about this in other episodes, is turnover margin. Uh, the Packers obviously went negative two in their game against the Buccaneers, uh, and they ended up losing that game. On the season, the Packers are positive one in the turnover margin. Uh, The Houston Texans are at negative three in the turnover margin. Um, So I think the Packers will probably edge out in the turnover margin in some way, shape, or form in this game. And I think that will be the decision point to maybe take it from a three-point Packers win to a 10-point Packers win. Uh, so therefore I'm going to take the prediction of this game being, uh, 31, 21 with it being tight through two to three quarters of the game, uh, and being competitive overall. Um, all right. Wonderful. Uh, any last words on this matchup, the past couple weeks of football or anything else you want to leave the people with today, Sarah? You know, the best thing you can do to get the taste out of, the bad taste out of your mouth is win. Winning cures all. Um, and the, do you have any other thoughts about the game? Because I do have one final thought I'd like to end the podcast on. I have no other thoughts on the game. Uh, take it home, Sarah. Um, just want to jump back to, to Wes Hopkins' story uh, on Molly and Mason Crosby. And just to share a quote from, from towards the end of the story with you all. If cancer taught Molly, Mason Crosby's wife, anything, it's to appreciate today. She quotes a line from the book, A Minute of Margin, in saying not to live in, quote, the tyranny of the urgent, end quote. Take a moment today, folks. Life is busy. Life is full. Life is crazy and chaotic. But, you know, take a moment. Don't live in the tyranny of the urgent and, and appreciate what we have today. We have a great football team in the Green Bay Packers. We have family, we have friends. We have a lot to be thankful for and go Pack Go.